You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 34. Marie-Pierre Hébert is the founder of KID, a company that offers on-demand babysitting services. The idea came to her as she opened hotels across the world. Customers would ask for babysitting services, and there were never any credible or safe options available. After traveling for years, Marie-Pierre decided that she would start an on-demand babysitting service once she moved back to Montreal. From one day to the next, she quit her job and started KID. She identified her priorities and launched within three months. In this episode, Marie-Pierre reveals the different pricing models she explored, how her primary target audience shifted from B2C to B2B, and how she built a profitable business by addressing a gap in the market. Visit kid.ca, spelled K-I-I-D, to learn more about the business. In the meantime, you don't want to miss why Marie-Pierre developed a very strict recruitment process. The No Formula Podcast offers a glimpse into the lives of real entrepreneurs who possess a variety of experiences and backgrounds. Through raw conversations, learn about their passions, journeys, setbacks, and milestones. Join host Laura L. Bernhardt as she confirms that there is, in fact, no formula to success. Get inspired and stay motivated throughout your entire journey. Subscribe today. Hi, Marie-Pierre. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi. If you don't mind, I'm going to just jump right into it. So I want to talk about the beginning of your professional career. You started in hotel management, but you specialize in something specific. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I specialized in uh, hotels and restaurants openings. So I would basically be hired to um, to open no to open new properties uh, that included both a hotel and a restaurant. Oh, I didn't wait. I didn't know that part. I didn't even realize that you can actually specialize in doing that. What does that entail? Like you have to travel, you have to, what does that entail? It's not a, it's not like a specialization per se. It's just, you, you kind of start by doing one and mm. often I, either you love it or hate it. Um, <laughs> like and, anything, right? <laughs> and then if, if you've done one, you, you, you liked it, uh, you, you'll be more prone to, to apply for new hotel openings uh, once, once one is done. So, and also on your resume, when uh, employers and companies see that you've done one or two openings, they're like, this is attractive to them because it's not a regular context. So mm-hmm. if you lived it and, and went through it before, they're more likely to hire you for, for another one. Okay, that's super cool. And, and what was this like, opening hotels? And I, I think you had told me before that it was actually all over the world. Yeah, I, I've done um, so, a, a lot of them in the U.S. and in four different states. I've worked in the Middle East as well. Um, what it was like, it's it's a lot of fun. It becomes addictive, but it's, it's crazy weeks, crazy days, crazy hours. Um, it's not an easy job. It's, it's the opposite of your Monday to Friday, nine to five job. Sounds super fun, though. And and then after you decided to to settle down, right? You came you came back to Montreal, and yeah. you were you were looking for like the nine to five job, right? 
No, 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 not, not really. I, I was just looking to come uh, back like closer to home. I've, I've lived around the world for, for several years, had the expat life and I missed Montreal. Like when you live in, in different other countries, that's where you realize uh, how like, good it is to live in Montreal and in Quebec, mm-hmm. um, at, at least for me. Uh, so I decided I wanted to come back and and also at this point I was working for a, a US um, boutique hotel company so and I was a, the regional manager uh, for five or six properties um, I were I was traveling nonstop working really long weeks and I was at, at this point where I, I was thinking like if if I'm gonna work that hard and be on constant pressure uh, might as well be for myself. So that's mm-hmm. when I'm like, thinking if I'm coming back to Montreal, um, I'll, I'll probably start my own company. Okay. So before we dive into that, mm-hmm. out of sheer curiosity, what was your favorite place to visit or at least work in? Uh, <laughs> I, I would say my favorite like and and to this day my favorite place is is montreal um i really enjoyed my experience in the middle east because Mm -hmm. it was so different but uh, and also like working in in the u.s in different states um you always it's it's like the u.s is different because in every state you're like in a different country i find (laughs) culture changes like it's so different mm-hmm. um so i enjoyed every place i've been in um but my favorite place to work and live is definitely in montreal oh that's nice and now you're back so you just said you came back you want to live and work in montreal and if you were going to work that hard you wanted to start your own business so yeah. how did how did you start that <laughs> literally from one day to another really <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I told one day I was in the car with my husband, we were traveling. He used to work for the, the same hotel company as me. Mm-hmm. And um, we were traveling to, to one of our properties. And I just told him, I think I'm going to resign in a, in a few weeks and just start an on-demand babysitting company. And his answer, he was just like, Okay, whatever makes you happy will make it work. Oh, that's nice, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky to have like a super supportive husband. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I had it in my mind um, to start my own thing. And when I worked in, in hotels, anywhere in the world where I was, we always got requests from clients uh, asking us when they would check in or staying with us, they, they would come and ask, Hey, do you have a babysitting service to refer us to? We want to go out, but we, we have the kids and we don't know anyone around here mm-hmm. and nowhere did it exist. Uh, we would refer them to like online platforms that are not super secured or our uh, staff in the restaurants or housekeeping <laughs> sometimes would do it or I would do it. I, I love to, to care for children. So I would say, oh, I'll be happy to do it. Mm-hmm. But it always stayed with me like this, this constant demand for, for this service. And um, I, I decided that I could just start it and create it because it didn't exist. Yeah, that's awesome. Because you saw the gap in the market and then you just went for it. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what's actually really impressive too is that you quit your job and then you started it right away. Whereas most people would try to keep their job and try to manage it on the side. So yeah. I'm wondering like, what made you decide to do that? What gave you the confidence to do that? Oh, I don't know. Craziness. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's a, per- this is like really my personal opinion. I know a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are successful m- managing both at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Me, um, if you want to launch a successful company, you have to be all in. And in, in, that's what I believe in, just my own opinion. Mm-hmm. But also in the position that I was in before, working 60, 70 hours a week and launching a company at the same time, there's no way I could, uh, I could have made it work. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's different. Like if I had a nine to five job, Monday to Friday, maybe I could have made it work. I don't know. But, and also kid is a company, like you have to be all in, you cannot do it on the side because it's all, it's seven days a week, 24 hours. Like it never mm. stops. Okay. Yeah. It's not like an online service, you know, sometimes you can, you can manage it on the side. This was very yeah. much every single day. Yes. It's very, like, I'm very hands-on, I'm involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it would have been possible if I kept both jobs. What do you think is the biggest thing you learned from being in such um, a high, dem- like a very demanding job that helped you start KID? Um, I mean, the, so opening hotels is, mm-hmm. like, is like running a business, but uh, with someone else's money. So you have the investors, owners uh, that you report to, but in the day to day you're running the business mm-hmm. so all of, like i was lucky to be to be put in those position and to gain that experience um, because you you have to you start from nothing and you have all the departments to put together so example a hotel you have guest services uh, sales and marketing finance housekeeping um, the restaurant side food and beverage so you have all of these parts that you have to put together and and build so my experience doing this really helped me and, and prepared me to launch my own business because in, in a business, you also have all these moving parts that mm-hmm. are kind of separate entities, but you have to put together. So that's, that's really what helped me. I find my, my experience doing that prior. Um, and also, I would say like the most important thing is that I learned through through my hotel experience was people management, uh, human relations, whether it's employee management or like just managing uh, guests. And mm. so in hotels, it's a, it's a highly human position. And this really helped me to launch my company, which has a, also like a strong customer service aspect in it. Yeah, for sure. You're dealing with people's kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so you take the leap, you resign from your job, you yeah. start KID. Mm-hmm. Day one of, of you starting KID, what, what do you do? What, how did you do it? Um, the first, I started first, so I knew I needed two things. Technology, because I wanted to be in a, a fully functional online platform. Mm-hmm. And people, to, to babysitters, to give the service. Mm-hmm. 
so I started with building my website. I did not know anything about creating a website. Mm -hmm. I didn't have uh, financing or anything. So obviously I was starting from like with almost no money. Um, so I outsourced a team in the first few weeks um, to create the website. I had a vision, so I told them exactly what I wanted and then they, they built it. And then on the side, while this was being done, I started my recruitment for, for babysitters. Wow. And so how long did it take to get up and running? About three months. Oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was not perfect. Huh? I launched uh, <laughs> at some, and that's, it's part of it too. If you wait for everything to be perfect, it, it won't happen. Like, yeah, at, Someday you just have to dive in and um, at the end when everything was functioning properly, we just decided to launch a platform and then deal with issues that would, uh, that would arise. Yeah, I think there's a saying, um, if, you, if, if you're not embarrassed by what you launch, that means you launch <laughs> too late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like now I'm, I'm talking about the tech, size, uh, mm-hmm. the tech side of things because that's like, of course, there were bugs at the beginning, people trying to book and small mistakes happening and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's bound to happen. Um, but on the babysitting and service side, that I was pretty strong on because if I sent a babysitter somewhere and it didn't go well, well, like this is the essence of my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially at the beginning, parents needed to be wowed right away. Um, so on this, things were pretty well settled and like ready to go. So how did, how did you go through this recruitment to make sure that that part of your service was excellent? Yeah, so I did, I mean, at the beginning and still today, we're super strict uh, in, in the recruitment process. We start, we recruit mostly in CEGEP, univers- like universities, um, in, in concentrations where, uh, there's anything related to like childcare. So education, uh, early childhood education, psychology, social work. So most mm-hmm. of our sitters, we also have a few that are not studying in, in a related field, but most of our sitters, um, are studying and like they, they want to work with children. So that's where we start first. That's where we recruit because we, we want people that genuinely like caring for children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go through, through resumes. We make sure there's a minimum of three years of experience, um, in childcare. We do a, we run a background check. We make sure every single babysitter has a um, first aid CPR certification that is adapted to early childhood. And we do interviews. And then finally, we do an in-person training, a kid professional training. Um, so that were, were always the steps since I, I first started that uh, sitters would, would go through. And the fact that we meet them in person also like adds to the, the relationship and we make sure that, you know, I, I have a, a one-year-old and I always make sure that when I meet the sitters that uh, I would leave my one-year-old with them, that I would mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good test. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of them come to my, my home as well. 
<laughs> so you start this vigorous process from the very beginning then yeah yes this was always it, it. now we're doing it in a much higher volume of course mm-hmm. uh, in the beginning i was doing it all myself now we have a recruiting coordinator um i i kind of come in at the end only for the in-person training uh, the rest is done by someone else but um it's the same strict process yeah wow that's that's intense from the beginning but it goes to show like that's what you want your service to be so you had to you had to make sure this part of the of the company was right oh for sure for sure like if if people book a sitter and there's a bug on the website yes it's irritating but it's mm-hmm. okay they'll still book again mm-hmm. if sitter's not good they will never come back and they will never talk about kid to to other parents yeah and i think that's a that's a pretty good lesson for a lot of entrepreneurs is to identifying what is essential for your business and, yeah. and really focusing on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so at the beginning, you launch after three months, you know, some bugs on the website, not a big deal. But how, how did the service work at the beginning? Um, I mean, it, it's always been the same concept. So, uh, so anyone who needs a sitter goes on the platform, they select the date and time and location, and they're immediately matched with an available babysitter. And mm-hmm. the, the thing with, with kid is that it's instant. The confirmation is instant. They don't, they don't have to ask, oh, okay, I want to book her. Is she available or not? If she shows up, she's available. Um, mm-hmm. So people can book directly. So that, that's, that's how it started, and it's still the same thing now. Um, the, the thing that we worked on the most is the user experience and the design on, on the website. So that obviously like we improved it. We changed things uh, over time. Mm-hmm. And also at the beginning, I think you remember telling me that it was actually the website was for parents. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, th- so that's um, a very important point. So we started um working with parents directly so our business was b2c mm-hmm. and quickly in the first few months um come like hr people company owners uh, started contacting me because they wanted to offer this to their employees they there was always like some issues um parents facing unexpected situations like the daycare is closed um there's a pet day there's a snowstorm and parents are always stuck in between like work and family so employers mm-hmm. would like started to come to me and say hey can we offer kid we'll we'll pay for it for our employees we'll give them access and they can just book their sitters whenever they need whenever they have a conflict uh and they they can book it on the corporate account so i found it super interested uh, interesting and I did a market research and I found, found out two things. One, there was, it was a big problem. So I like, like look through data and searches and parents would miss um, in, on average up to eight days per year because of a, a related like childcare issue. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was a big problem and it's, it's a, it's a problem that costs business businesses a lot of money because a day of work missed by a parent can cost them up to 11 times that, that day's pay. 
Um, so that's yeah. a crazy stat. Mm -hmm. So if you if you think of like the how it affects in different industries, it can affect production, it can affect the entire work team because one person's missing. They can also have to hire someone else. Just like um, we have clients, for example, in the construction industry. Uh, if someone is missing in the factory, they have to, to hire a temp worker that's paid like three times the hourly and they mm -hmm. also have to spend time to train them and they're not as efficient. So for them, it's a no-brainer. They, mm -hmm. they prefer to have the parent there and pay for the babysitter. Um, also professional firms like accountants or lawyers, um, if they miss eight, 10 hour day of billable hours, it affects the company. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And sorry, go. Yeah, so 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 when I, I after doing all that the research, I I decided to really refocus the company on B two B, working exclusively with with businesses. I mean, we still we still uh, work with parents, but through their employers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if that and if that works for you, I think that's awesome. Because it's it's a little bit harder to reach out to individual parents than than companies, for right? Sure. Right. So I kind of want to shift gears here and talk about how you adapted your pricing models over the years. So is it okay if we go through like a few of the pricing models you tried and and why it worked or why it didn't work? Yeah. So at the beginning, when we were working like B2C pretty much exclusively, we, I, I tried two pricing models. The mm -hmm. first one was an hourly rate. And it, it was, so the more hours that a parent would book, uh, the less it would cost per hour. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really like a price structure according to the length of, of the, the booking to encourage parents to book as many hours as possible. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was, a, I, I don't know if it would have worked on the long term because it was in the beginning. So maybe mm -hmm. it was because people didn't know enough about kid yet. Um, but it didn't bring the volume that I, that I wanted. So I tried to change things. And then I introduced a subscription program. So for parents, there was still... Uh, the option to pay as you go. So just pay the hourly fee mm -hmm. or subscribe, pay a monthly fee and then have a reduced hourly fee. So someone who would use kid like two, three times a month, it was really worth it for them to just subscribe to kid and pay the, the subscription. And this worked well, uh, but again, it would, for, for it to be perfect, like to work for us, um, we needed way more volume. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, within that period that we did the change, yes, it worked well. We got new, new customers signing up every month. Um, but during that same period, I started developing the, the B2B business and this worked really well. So this, that was kind of my third pricing structure, if we want, because in that context, I, we, we work with employer directly. We do not bill anything to the parent and it's the employer that pays for the, for the service. And that ended up working the best for us. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm curious, how long, how long did you keep the first pricing model before you changed it? A year, I think. Okay. So then you're like, no, this is not working. Let's switch it up. That yeah. increased subscriptions, which increased revenue. It was, it was working, but not, we didn't have enough volume. So I wanted to get more parents to, to use the service. Mm-hmm. Maybe with the, with the subscription um, structure, it would entice people. Okay, very, very cool. Then you moved on, obviously, to the B2B structure. And now it's, they pay a monthly fee, right? Uh, the B2B, no, they pay hourly. Um, it's super easy for a business to use. Basically, there's no minimum hours. There's no monthly fee. There's no engagement. They can just sign up for a few months, use it for a few months if they need, and they pay as they go. So if they use 10 hours per month, they only pay for those 10 hours. Okay. Awesome. If, they don't, if they don't use it for a month, they, they don't have any, any invoice to pay. Oh, okay. Well, that that's good. Mm-hmm. And and you, do you find that bigger companies use your service or like small, more professional, I guess, businesses? It really depends. Oh, uh, really? We have we have a little bit of everything. We have tech companies. We have healthcare companies. We have construction companies, uh, law firms, accounting firms. Uh, smaller companies like only five six employees but they all have young children mm-hmm. so oh. we have a, f- a, a few bigger companies as well so any I mean any parent that you'll speak to w- will never say oh I never had an issue with uh, between my work and my family like any parent in the yeah. world always face an unexpected issue where they're stuck. They have a full day of work, important meetings, a sales call, for example, and then they have their child because, I don't know, they're teething and they have a little fever and they can't go to daycare or their regular nanny is sick, things like that. Yeah. Regardless of of the company or the industry, um, I think like that's why we have so many different companies using us. Yeah, because they all share the same pain point. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious in, in terms of, of the marketing, how was your marketing, how did your marketing change? Because at first you were doing B2C mm-hmm. and now you're doing B2B. So what was the biggest change in your marketing strategy? My, well, it was always on social media. So when I was doing B2C, uh, we used Instagram and Facebook a lot. And mm-hmm. when we went to B2B, it went like almost exclusively on LinkedIn. And that's what has been the most successful for us. Whoa, LinkedIn. So are you, are you using like paid ads or is it just on like the profile page? No, mostly my profile. Um, we tried a few paid ads, but we never invested like crazy amounts in ads. Uh, we tried different small things. And honestly, what works best for us is my different like posts and trying to engage uh, on LinkedIn and just spreading the word about kids. And a lot of our business is... is um, word of mouth 
Yeah, that's also how I found Kid. It was through your profile page. Oh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah. just confirms what I said. Yeah, exactly. That's why I'm smiling. You don't see me right now, but I'm smiling. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, oh my God, this is such a, a cool business. Like you don't hear about this, right? And that's why I like, oh, I have to reach out to her and interview and see what her story is. So yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and I kind of want to take a, a step back actually now. When mm -hmm. you started KID, it was also the same year you decided to have a baby. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, left, you left your job. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot going on. <laughs> yes. And a lot of people would see this as extremely overwhelming, but you must have had some kind of coping methods to get through it. And I wanted to know, do you have advice or tips on how you were able to get through it? I mean, it is, uh, it's not for everyone, definitely not. And mm -hmm. it's a choice. And I always say that I strongly believe that life is about choices you make. Um, what helped me get through it? Like I, I made the fully conscious choice to start a business and uh, fall pregnant a few months later. Mm -hmm. um, what helped me manage it all is like a strong support network. I was not um, scared to ask for help. Um, I also, I knew that my husband was fully supportive in this. Um, and I had a lot of babysitters to rely on. When <laughs> and I like, it's difficult when you have a newborn and you're not sleeping and you still have to get up in the morning and do meetings and take decisions. And like your head is not fully there because you're so tired. Mm -hmm. um, but I just kept my, my eyes like... <laughs> the price and I was like I have to go on and go on and go on and I can't stop and people around me would, were like can't you take just a little break and a few months like no you can't you can't when you run a, a startup mm -hmm. if, I mean I mean no sorry you can you make the choice to not to not stop anything because you can stop your business is gonna is just gonna slow down mm -hmm. Some opportunities yeah they'll come back later okay okay but when you're in the beginning and the business is growing it's not the best move to just stop and take a few months off yeah um, so so I, I I just like I kept thinking I'm gonna make it and it's gonna be successful and it's going to be all worth it uh, in the end so that's how I, I I like went through the the first few months and I was not as I mentioned before I would book babysitters for two three hours um I would my mother helped me a lot as well I would work at night like ask my mom to come at home at night and go do for example like the babysitters training in person training mm -hmm. I would do them at night instead of in the day um and yeah I think that's there's no magic formula it's you just get through it. You put your head down and you work. <laughs> so I'm actually, I'm wondering now, you were probably working solo for a while. How long did it take you to, to hire another person to help you out? Um, a year. So when I, I hired someone uh, when I was ready to have Mila, my daughter. So I was giving birth in September and that's when I said okay I'll hire someone to just do the customer service 
um, and like the operations kind of the she's an operations coordinator mm-hmm. um, so I hired her I think a year after I, I started and then it really helped me um, but I'm still super involved in in everything it's it's difficult because it's not as if you can say okay here's the company run it mm-hmm. else. Um, but yeah I think it was a, about a year and then it's lonely to be a, a solo founder and I was really looking for a, for a partner in the business. Um, and about a year and a half after I, I launched, I, uh, I met a, another entrepreneur and decided I was looking actually for a CFO to take like all of the finance budget mm-hmm. aside. And so I, I met, uh, his name is David, my partner and I, I finally, after a year and a half about, I, I had a partner and it was so nice. And, and the best thing that happened to Kid and to me, because I now had someone to share like the craziness of the, <laughs> of the startup world with. <laughs> so that's very interesting. It's, well, for me anyway, I haven't really heard an entrepreneur get a partner after like a year and a half into the company. So how, how were you able to make sure that David was the right person to work with? <laughs> you never know. I like, <laughs> funny, it's, I do things on my, on my feelings and like my gut feelings. That's always how I think <laughs> it's part of my personality. They, David would say it's not good. <laughs> He's like very analytical data focused um yeah if he was going to be cfo i could have i could have guessed (laughs) so so it's the perfect match for me but um i really didn't know but i met him and in the first few minutes i knew he was going to be my my partner he just looked at me and he said um listen your numbers don't make any sense (laughs) but you know how to hustle and you could probably pull it off and he kind of understood my entire personality and just that sentence like I don't make sense to most of people I always <laughs> think differently mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day I'm so focused on like being successful and making things happen that I'll do anything to make it work um, so I thought he understood me uh, well and I, and I liked him as a person and that's like pretty much, but it was based on a feeling and I knew immediately he was super smart um, and he would complete me like in, in the sense that he's more um, realistic, looks at data, whereas I'm, I have my vision and I'm like, yes, we can make anything happen. And then <laughs> it always brings me back to reality and he gives me options and he's like, okay, you want to do this, but you have to go through these steps and this is the smart way to do it to be <laughs> successful. <laughs> So now you guys make decisions together. Yes, I always involve him in in all of my decisions. Okay. Do you do you believe every entrepreneur should have a partner? I think so. Yeah, yeah. It really helps. Um, but I know how difficult it is, and it's risky, mm-hmm. especially when you start it. Uh, as a solo founder and then you have to share it's difficult to share like your baby with someone else mm-hmm. um, but I, I do think it really helps yeah 
I know it must be, oh my gosh, it must be so hard because you've been working on this for a year and a half. You're also pregnant at this point. And then you bring on David. I had the baby at this point. I had a two month old at this point. Yeah. Yeah. When you brought him in. Yes. It, it helped because I had so much going on. Um, he took on so much from, from everything that I was doing and he brought the business to another level. Um, so like, as I said before, it was the best thing that, that ever happened to, to kid to have him on. And now I often say to my husband, like, oh, if David left tomorrow, I don't know how I would handle it. Everything he does. So then we'll make sure he doesn't hear this interview. <laughs> so Marie-Pierre, before we wrap things up, I actually am super curious as to what's in store for kid. Is there any anything new coming up? Something that you can tell everybody? What's in store for kids? It's a it's a good question. Um, we want to. Our goal is to partner with for twenty twenty. Well, given the the current circumstances, it's 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 more difficult. But for twenty twenty, mm-hmm. our goal is to partner with twenty new companies. Um, and to be in every major Canadian city, basically. Um, oh, so expand nationally. Yeah, we're already in Montreal, Toronto. Um, and we basically, we, if, if a company based in Montreal says, hey, we would love to offer it to our team in Montreal, but we have to be fair to everyone and offer it in these other cities, will often recruit just for that company and open open it to other cities as well. Um, but uh, yeah, our goal is to is uh, definitely to expand and sign on more partnerships. That's so exciting. Well, mm-hmm. I'm very very uh, invested in your story, and I and I love the company. So I will be um, keeping up with you. Keep like, we're <laughs> definitely going to keep in touch for sure. <laughs> But thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, and yeah, it was awesome. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before ending this episode, I want to emphasize how Marie Pierre pivoted her business to the demand of the market. She adapted her business to cater to other businesses as opposed to maintaining the B2C model. I also love how she was able to prioritize the human factor of kid over the technology. She understood what was necessary for the business to succeed. Finally, I found it very interesting that she basically created a new market. As soon as I heard about this business, I wanted to learn more. It's always so interesting to hear stories about people developing businesses in new markets. There's always a learning curve for target audiences and the business changes so much. Just like the pricing models Marie-Pierre was telling us about. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone.